Hello and welcome back to The Dive. I'm Jat, joined by Kobe, Azale, and our very special guest, Frost Curran. The most special. This is the eve of the 2018 World's Quarterfinals, one that has the potential for a C9 victory and a Fnatic victory, which would lead to a Fnatic C9 semifinal, which would lead the West, baby, to let's a West go. Uh, that's how we get ahead of ourselves. Honestly, yeah, think? but the draw, you're talking about the draw already, mm -hmm. the quarterfinal draw. I don't think there's been a more hype quarterfinal draw for Western fans ever, actually. Yeah. This is for sure it, right? I just think it's the most exciting world's period for Western fans ever, right? You know, with, with how competitive a lot of the teams have been, like, you know, from, from both regions, we've had extremely exciting games. Uh, when you when you look at the draw we got in combination with that, the how meta, the fanatic looks, everybody's the loving it. Hype, like, Worlds has been really, really great, I think, overall, and especially for Western fans. Yeah, I think the only time that you can maybe push back a little bit is the Origin Fanatic uh, totally Worlds. Fair. But yep. otherwise, I mean, there's more success across the board in terms of, like, Cloud9 being involved in that conversation and how dominant Fnatic looks. This time, NA yeah. fans get to be involved. So. <laughs> yeah, Woo! that was you. This is the West. This also, is the West. When Worlds was in EU that year that EU got two teams to the semifinals, like imagine if Origin and Fnatic would have been on the same side of the bracket. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like that's, that's the added hype. That's the added yeah. hype, yeah. right? Because we have we have a freak of freaks who, even though they are a Korean team, was four and two, lost their first two games, still the slowest team really that, that made it to the quarterfinals, it feels like. So there is a belief for some that Kanan can win that. Fnatic had a better group stage than any Western team ever mm -hmm. with a 6-1 and one record and two defeats of IG on the final day. Uh, they're going up against EDG, the number three seed from China. So it's like, that is 2015 plus because they're on the same side of the bracket. But let's actually talk about that side of the bracket uh, right off the bat. Um, we'll start with the top left, which is C9 versus Freak of Freaks. And then while talking about this matchup, reference some of the takings and findings we had from the group stage. So, Frosk, uh, we can start with you. Just with a quick question. Or anyone. Who straight really out wants of the gate. Uh, just thoughts on, let's go over C9 first. Like, their run that they made on the final day and then their chances in the quarterfinals. I mean, the reality is, is this is probably the... If you were going to draw a first seed, this is the one that you wanted to get. So, from that lens, Cloud9 are like, okay, we got... Theoretically, the weakest team of the first seed, so we have the best chance to go through. And then you start breaking down and looking at play styles. Um, for me, the thing about Cloud9 is uh, talking with you guys, watching their games. It's always that, you know, under those clutch, really important moments, people like Jensen seem to disappear instead of stepping forward. And it felt like finally Cloud9 fans were redeemed and had all of their faith rewarded in, uh, in Jensen because he pulled out the zillion pick. Um, Licorice was going crazy up in the top lane. And even Zazel, for me especially, had ridiculous games on Thresh and Alistar mm -hmm. to really put Cloud9 over the edge. And so collectively, I'm like, does lightning strike twice? Like, how often are we going to get this form? Was this Cloud9 overperforming or was this them finally meeting expectations? And that's just something that I don't have enough experience with this roster to really gauge. I think that's one of the big questions right now because... Watching Cloud9's uh, second round robin, like the, the last day of Group B, was so exciting uh, for North American fans, for any uh, you know fans of Cloud9. They had such big improvements. Sneaky was so much better uh, in lane. That was one of the big worries was early on, like he got super blasted by mm -hmm. Uzi, um, as well as some of the other bottom lanes. Uh, so that was a really big improvement. Him and Jensen both played a lot better. I think the shining star has definitely been licorice as far mm -hmm. as consistency for Cloud9. And that's so big because he's one of the rookies. And if I just look at the most recent, you know, that last day of Group B, 
um, and I put that side by side with a Freak of Freaks, uh, I think it's a very good matchup for Cloud9. Uh, not only as Frostgren was talking about Afrika being kind of overall less powerful for a seed one, but they had by far the lowest kills per minute. Uh, mm -hmm. of any of the teams at Worlds this year. 0.4, uh, playing pretty slow, and then mostly just getting kills and stuff in team fights. Whereas Cloud9, especially on the last day, that was super good early game. They were coming out with counter picks, winning lanes all over the place, you know, fighting skirmishes. So uh, that was my first kind of reaction to this matchup was C9 going to try and do some, you know, early win lane stuff. Um, a lot of counter picks coming out and... Um, that would probably be the main tactic. And that's the most important thing, I think, when looking at this matchup. It's identifying the correct power level for Afrika. So we basically had, like, two different metas between the groups. You had Group B, which was, like, fast and furious. Everyone's playing early game. Everyone decides to throw down the gauntlet, have mm -hmm. these crazy picks, or decide, like, even Uzi was like, forget the Kai'Sa. I need to win lane phase because it's just, like, the games are being decided here. Afrika went completely the opposite way, as did a lot of Group A. It was more about post lane phase, playing very slow, very controlled style. And so you have these very different uh, styles that are going to clash. And for once, Afrika feels like pound for pound talent, like especially when you look at Tucson and Kramer, Tucson did uh, have a better performance on the second half of the round, Robin. But individually speaking, I don't think they outclass you know, the the Western players. And it used to be that, um, you know, the LPL teams, the LCK teams, they go, and not only are they smarter, but individually they were just stronger across the board. And that doesn't seem true anymore. Yeah, I think I think I think it's it's really a good sign for them if you know the bottom lane of Afrika isn't able to actually get massive leads because despite the fact that you know C9's bottom lane still did do a lot better in the second round robin, I mean Siki was still averaging 500 gold down at 15, but mm -hmm. their bottom lane as a whole in the first set of games was averaging down over 1600 gold at 15, so they were getting slammed. And I mean a lot of that is in part to the first RNG game where they just hard lost off bot lane, um, but even in the second round robin they were still generally sneaky was still generally behind but it was manageable amounts it was you know in lanes where he could scale into the late game and they were playing very well i think you know around kind of covering them like we saw that uh Svenskeren spent more time trying to protect bot lane trying to keep bot lane relevant uh than he did around top side you know the first round robin was kind of more about protecting top side mm -hmm. so uh, I do have some faith that, you know, if they are not going to be, you know, dominated in lane and they can stay relevant, that the soul lanes of C9 at this, like, current level that they have been showing uh, certainly can, you know, take over a game or certainly have the potential to. But we also have to remember how much better I've always felt Afrika looked in playoffs and best ofs because mm -hmm. when people talk about this team, they talk so much about their preparation, the fact that they, you know, do so much internal scrimming, that they hide picks, that they prepare counter strategies for teams. And that's something that could theoretically be pretty powerful against Cloud9, who has a lot of unique picks. You know, if you pre-plan a counter strategy for Zillion or or Kindred or Kaisa, which Sneaky loves to play, mm -hmm. there's these picks that you know they want to go for. And if they can plan around that and prepare counters that could look good for Afrika in a best of five. Two biggest disappointments for Afrika for me uh, at Worlds this year has been their planning. Mm -hmm. I thought it was actually garbage mm -hmm. as far as what they showed for their planning coming Definitely into agree. groups. For the, bad for the group teams. And Keen, what the heck? This dude, 
again, we're supposed to have an all-star Korean top mm-hmm. laner, similar to, you know, Longju and Khan. He's supposed to be this, the second coming up here. He was playing Quinn. He blasted people individually in the LCK. Mm-hmm. Uh, At least and, he still got the shy. And now he's up there missing sign ultimates into the wall, and <laughs> I don't even know what's going on over here. That he's was scaling. a star player. Part of it, I think, was down to a bad meta read. Like, they, yeah. they actually said when they picked Akali into Urgot, they're like, it's so we can set up that 4-1. This works, right? And then Urgot built a bunch of MR, and they're like, I, I guess that doesn't work. <laughs> I, I guess you can't 4-1 with that, which is really, that, that was really strange to me, if that is, excuse was actually true. But I would say, uh, the way he played on the final day of group stage, when they played three games in a row and won all three, yeah. even though some of those games were were close, I thought Keen was very reliable in those games. Like, not any kills, not any deaths, like two assists, but he would just get turret damage and get pressure. And it's really, Jack's game especially, I thought. Yeah, and it's really important to understand that with Keen, he's not the type of top laner that absorbs a ton of resources. Like, he doesn't need the jungler to come camp his lane, and it's not how Afrika play around him. He's there to create his own advantages, which then unlocks the rest of Afrika that they can choose, kind of like pick where they're going to give their resources on the rest of the map, which is incredibly important for uh, Kramer and Tucson because they're going to need a lot of assistance. Majority of teams have been playing through the bot lane. We see a ton of priority pick around the support and the bot lane picks. Uh, so if Keen is able to have a decent matchup against Licorice, either then just neutralize it or survive it, who is probably like the best, uh, like you said, most consistent member of Cloud9, then hopefully for Afrika fans, that frees up their jungler and mm-hmm. frees up Kuro so they can start giving more support around different areas of the map and try to break elsewhere. And here's a question. Both these teams started the round robin at 1-2 and two and then went 3-0 and oh on the second day. Cloud9 then lost the tiebreaker to RNG to make it 3-1. and one. But essentially, they had a bad week and then a really good day. So do you have any, like, what is your read on which team's 3-0 is more likely to be repeated in the quarterfinals? Because there's a fear for me that Cloud9 had a good day or that Afrika just had a good day. Like, which mm-hmm. team do you expect to be able to replicate that day in the quarterfinals more? So... With the way that I've been setting it up, I I do feel more for Cloud9. Part of that is due to the opponents. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of the reason we were freaking out so much about the last day of Group B is this was RNG and Genji that they were doing it against. Mm -hmm. However, Genji seemed to have a complete collapse internally. And and their games, especially at the end of the day, uh, just looked like they were limping through them. They Yeah, exactly. They were not making really any proactive moves or... Uh, setting much up so maybe that does take away from it a little bit um but the fact that cloud nine did that you know versus rng um who have been you know a very good bottom lane focus you know team fights later as well um and that's kind of what afrika shifted to to get there mm-hmm. best you know three wins in a row as well more team fighting kramer playing a lot better uh and carrying those made made me feel that way uh i am trying to look at it objectively mm-hmm. uh and 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 overcorrect maybe for for it being cloud nine and mm-hmm. getting excited because coming into the tournament the expectations were not that high for them yeah um and and that may take a little bit more sorting but that was my initial reaction 
I, I'd also say, you know, even just how Vitality played. So while Genji, you could say, certainly underperformed. Yeah, true. Vitality overperformed, I think, and played incredibly well. So when I was watching that group, I felt like that was just a higher level group than than Afrika's group, right? And I think mm -hmm. most of the casters when we were talking were like, okay, the, the way that Vitality played, they probably could have got out of another group. You know, Cloud9 might have been able to get out of another group. RNG certainly could have, right? Like, it looked yeah. like all of those teams were playing incredibly well. And Genji didn't look great. You know, maybe their their opponents just played incredible and punished them. Maybe they were tilted or they played poorly. Who knows? But um, it felt like, you know, Flash Wolves, Feng Vu, and G2, I think, were not playing as well as, you know, RNG and Vitality mm -hmm. and these teams, right? So uh, it, it is always tough to know. But I do have faith that Cloud9, I think, as long as they do not just kind of get, like, checkmated in Pikman, um, which there is maybe a, a chance of Afrika really saying, okay, it's about the Zillion, it's about the Shen, and it's about whatever else. And then, like, if you take away key picks, then maybe Cloud9 looks worse because I felt like Shen Flex was incredibly important. The Zillion was incredibly important. Um, and then the last one, I think, is, like, more up for debate where you go. Maybe you just have to take away a power pick, and it depends on the side of the matchup. But uh, those two picks felt so big for me. So if Cloud9 never gets those in the series... I'm like, ooh, do they look as good? I'm not sure. I think uh, you bring up a good point as far as I want to give a lot of credit to Reaper. Yeah. Because uh, Reaper has especially been one of these coaches, um, even last Worlds, where there were a lot of these unique jungle picks where he was just like, contracts, you know, you played a couple games of Graves, right? It's strong, right? Okay, you know, get in there. Get in there. Um, and, and play some hard carry jungle. Uh, the Hecarim is another really good example. Licorice mm -hmm. talked about in his interview afterward. It was literally two days before they pulled out in a gauntlet game mm -hmm. to qualify for Worlds as this, you know, Aatrox uh, counter that he likes. He just scrimmed it a couple times, uh, you know, 1v1ing with... Golden Glue or something? Darshan. I think he said maybe yeah. Darshan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Reaper's willing to, you know, put these types of yeah. picks in there. He has a lot of faith in his players and their knowledge and their, uh, you know, feeling of comfort in matchups like that, which I really do like. And I think gives them an edge as far as we keep talking about the Afrika coaches who also have a similar reputation. Um, and so far, I think it's Reaper one, uh, you know, all of the Afrika coaches as far as the yeah. start to their group was definitely kind of a middling performance. One thing I'm hearing a lot is the word faith. Uh, I didn't I say just, faith one time. You did. You could check the tapes. So did the Zale. <laughs> no I've said it. Tapes before, yeah, so. I'm not sure if Ross I have some synonyms. It's lost in the ether. <laughs> you can say you have belief, confidence, I never hope, doubted them. Uh, allegiance. You can be assured. If I did say it, it's probably only it's, one it's time. It's definite allegiance. No, I just yeah. think that... Um, <laughs> I think it's the the idea of like consistency versus like evolution. I'm really glad that you brought up Reaper because I, I was just about to grab onto it. It's yeah. like two very similar competing storylines of this idea of like discipline, training, you know, your 80s uh, montage, like Rocky moment for both Cloud9 and Afrika. This was uh, one of the better splits that Afrika had ever had, but usually they kind of sit around like mid-tier LCK, a little bit like just almost out of the uh, topic of relevant discussion in terms of like top three, top four. Uh, and their coach is always like disciplining them. When you watch them on the map, they're a very controlled team. It feels like once the dominoes start setting up that they're just like, okay, our coach told us now we go here, now we go here, now we go here. It's very like formula. And then Cloud9, you have, okay, bench everyone, reset it. We're going <laughs> to build the entire org back up and so uh if if it's a question of you know is this cloud nine just having a really good day or is mm -hmm. this cloud nine actually turning 
the page, like actually evolving. And I, I think there's uh, evidence for almost both. Um, I definitely think it's a really interesting conversation. And I don't know if I believe one way or the other, like, yes, this is now the new form of Cloud9. But if you actually do go back and, and watch their domestic split, you know, watch them in the mm-hmm. playoff gauntlet, watch them over the course of Worlds, there is signs of they're able to learn, they're able to adapt, and then they actually do get better. That they constantly are almost yeah. like moving up this ladder rung. And I think a part of that is due to the uh, the inexperience on the roster because you have so much to build on like these rookies and then when they start shining. Because frankly, we don't know what the ceiling cap is for uh, Zazel and, and Blabber. You know, you, you don't know how far they're going to pop Licorice off. Licorice as well. I mean, I don't think... We know what the cap yet. is for Licorice. World-class World. top laner. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> maybe it's even better. I think C9 has a really good mix of rookie talent with experienced players. And I think Sven Skarin's solid play throughout mm-hmm. that day was incredibly important. But I do also want to spend a little bit more time on Afrika because we have uh, a lot of C9 confidence, conviction, hope, and loyalty on this desk. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Afrika. And this is one thing I want to point out. Even though you can look at Afrika and say, hey, Kramer and Tucson aren't that strong, so they're not going to be able to punish C9's bottom lane laning phase, or Keen is going to match up great with Licorice, which is going to hurt Afrika's win condition. There's also, I think, the other fact that I think C9, especially in that last RNG game, and a lot during the regular season, did have struggles closing games. Yeah, Their Baron forces are not that clean. Uh, they usually just mob a fight around the Baron pit and then take it afterwards. Uh, and as far as if Afrika get into this slow 4-1 game that they are very good at stalling out, I think that could be where C9 stumbles. Like, even if they play great in the laning phase and they get to 30 minutes with like a 2,000 gold lead, that's actually where my concern lies with C9, and I think that's where Afrika could be strongest. I think Interesting, like these teams are kind of um, almost stacked their power in the same spaces. You know, you have like two top laners that should be popping off, Keen mm-hmm. versus Licorice. And then you have Jensen versus Kuro. I actually think Kuro, other than Yukal, um, is was the, the strongest representative or one mm-hmm. of the strongest mid laners that we had. Definitely underrated. And I think a lot of that was the competing talent in his group. Um, but he did have Maple and Perks for like one good day and was able to hold his own. <laughs> Problem with Kuro is, is he sometimes has bad reads on situations and sometimes he'll just die just because you're like, oh, great. Um, and then you have, you know, a weaker laning bot lane. Um, Sneaky and Zazel, while they did step up their laning on the second half, they're, they're not necessarily the strongest laners. Uh, and so for me, it's actually looking at the jungle and the fact that you have Svenskeren and Bladder, um, and then you have Spirit and Mowgli. And we saw vastly different forms of both these teams, depending on who was actually starting for the jungle. And obviously there's a lot of you know strategy that goes around it. But I actually think uh, putting a magnifying glass over that element and how it really mm-hmm. dramatically changes because that should be the swing of, you know, who prioritized the matchup, who's playing aggro jungler, who's able to... Because, like, if Spirit's able to control the game, play the Nocturne, and actually get a free farm to level 6, like, that's how Afrika looks so controlled. Mm-hmm. But if uh, Blabber or Svenskaren just wants to get in there, they prioritize the mm-hmm. 2v2 mid-jungle matchup and then just start hard invading, I actually think Afrika really fall apart but they do have a really strong defense. Like, Spirit is such a good pathing jungler that it's it's very dangerous to do so. But I feel like people will look at this matchup and say, you know, just give Licorice all the power picks and go toe-to-toe with Keen. I'm like, mm. no, no, no. I actually think this is won and lost in the jungle um, even before, you know, lane phase really ends or, or we get to late game. 
I mean, I, I'd also say I just think that like how Kuro plays is is so important for the team. Like when I, when I think back to their playoff performances, that really impressed me. Like when they they super slammed Genji two uh, zero, mm-hmm. they beat K, uh, Kingzone three one, I believe. Um, and Kuro played really well in both of those series, and I feel like he has looked very average at Worlds. He has he has not really been playing up to his best. So. You know, while we do talk about, okay, well, did Cloud9, are they playing at their level or above their level or whatever? I think whether or not Afrika was playing at their general level, Kuro has certainly been playing below my expectations for him. You know, coming out of of playoffs, I thought that he was uh, someone who had been looking very good. We have not seen, like, a lot of crazy picks or anything from him either. Like, this is a guy that has brought out a lot of interesting stuff before. You know, he brought out, like, Lethality Varus mid and Yasuo mid. You know, he's known for the Velkaz and all these picks. And these are picks that I think situationally can be really, really strong, which, again, does lend itself to a best of five, to... You know, preparing when you're going to play what against Jensen's pool. Um, so I think you know Kuro, if he plays like he did in the LCK playoffs, it'll it'll be much harder for Cloud9. Uh, Jensen certainly you know like can be up to the task, but I I really think so much of this series comes down to pick and ban because when I look back also last year to you know the WE series where Cloud9 was one game from semifinals, mm-hmm. they lost three uh, two. That was a lot off of innovation from Reaper, and I wonder are they going to have more new picks or have they shown like everything, right? Like you talked about Hecarim coming out a couple days before the gauntlet. Do they have those other picks that free up some of the power picks we've already seen so far to really kind of throw a freak off? If not, I think it gets a lot harder because I do expect Kuro to look better. I do expect him to have, uh, you know, counter picks on the red side as answers to some of Jensen's most popular champions. I also, as much like the, there's a reason why when at the very beginning, I was like the two most things I was mm-hmm. disappointed in Afrika uh, at Worlds this year were the coaches and Keen. Mm-hmm. There's a reason because I had a very high bar mm-hmm. for both of those things. And I still think that Keen is extremely strong top laner. Right. So if we're expecting kind of the, you know, beginning of groups type of performance from him, mm. I still think in a best of five, he'll have a much better performance than that. So that right. is going to be something to worry about. And he used things like the Quinn as recent as their uh, playoff game versus Griffin, right? Yep. And that was one of the games that they did win against Griffin. Um, like, they, Afrika can still do a lot more of these types of options. Um, and the best of five will probably get to see that. Yep. It's just that with the recent performances from these two teams, um, that's why it, it kind of gave it so much more to the side of Cloud9 than yeah. you would have thought coming into Worlds. Definitely. Yeah. Let's do predictions. All right. One thing I like about this year when I'm looking at the bracket is I feel like there aren't any imposters in the quarterfinals. Like, Totally. I think last year, even though Fnatic made a great run after the 2-4 and four start, I'm like, come on. Like they, they, lost, they started 0-4 and, and now they're in the quarterfinals. But all of these teams, I feel like, showed a couple of games that were in a really high level. I think uh, the other fact that there were no 6-0 and teams in the group stage meant every group was actually very competitive. So that, to me, will lead to, I hope, closer quarterfinal games, just as a preface for all the predictions we're going to do today. But what do you got? C9 versus Afrika. Anyone can start. Whoever I think that, that regardless of who you're picking for the victory here, I think there are going to be a lot of games in this series. No. Because I have so much you know, hold these coaches for both sides in high esteem. Um, I think that there will be changes from both sides Mm -hmm. after each loss, right? Mm -hmm. I don't see people, you know, running straight back, uh, you know, losing the same way over and over, Mm -hmm. right? Like going late game every single time or something like that. So 
Um, I am going to say Cloud9, 3-2. Uh, mm. Going to be action-packed, and we're going to see a lot. This is probably the game where I think we'll see the most interesting pick band evolution right. over the best of five. Yeah. Hmm. I think we might see crazy pick band I'm, in game one. I'm in the I'm in the same boat just because you know like if Cloud Nine doesn't change anything, then I would say Afrika I think can win because I think Afrika's preparation going into the best of fives is really really good. But because of what I've seen from Reaper, uh, what they showed you know last year against WE, what they have shown throughout the split, they have been really good at adapting, at changing, at mixing it up in draft, making it hard for their opponents, and that had been one of the biggest things they've been praised for in NA. And I think that really works against one of the big strengths of Afrika, which is their preparation so you know i'm also going to go cloud nine three two um i think it's such a close series though and and like this is my prediction is based on cloud <laughs> nine having picks that surprise them if if they just try to do the same thing every game i think afrika wins when you play the same mm. game five times in a row uh, i think cloud nine needs to be able to surprise them needs to be able to have adaptations yeah and one of the other things you just reminded me a lot of people have been saying that these two teams scrimmed a lot for group yeah. stage which makes it even yeah. more interesting. And especially you, you got to rank the C9 reaction video they posted when they drew Afrika. Well, and they're all just like, oh my God. I think Afrika probably Afrika's had, probably Afri the, same Afrika probably had yeah. the exact same reaction. Like, <laughs> Cloud9? Hell yeah. We did, yeah. We're not on the same side. It's like RNG and KT. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I'm yeah, loving it. All, so, all the West is cheering and Afrika is like, yeah, we got the West. <laughs> so I, I think both are. Okay. Actually, everybody on this whole side of the bracket is probably like, yeah. yay, we're not on the other side with KT and RNG and everything. Um, but uh, it, it, it does also bring into focus, like, since this year, we have a lot shorter time between groups and quarters. Mm -hmm. Them being scrim partners in groups means even more because now there's only a couple of days, right? right uh, for them to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when they were doing all, you know, X strategy in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. our scrims before. Now there's a lot less time. So it does make it super interesting and adds another level to the mind games. All right, Frost Karen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the wickets a little bit and uh, I'm going to. This is so cheating. I think if it goes to five You're gonna games, both? she's going to give. Two, she's going to give two predictions. I'm going to give two predictions. I think yes, if it goes to wrong. goes to five games, um, that that's how Cloud Nine win. I think if Cloud Nine win, it's a three-two, and I think it's um, it's based off of their consistency. I mean, Jet, you brought up a, a great point about you know like their Baron setups and their vision control and kind of more of the fundamentals mm -hmm. of how to close out games, and that's something that's really concerning. So I think that there are games where Cloud Nine will have the crazy pocket picks that they'll just come out swinging and they'll mm -hmm. knock Afrika down because Afrika will have. Uh, or, or won't have the individual talent to really compete in some of these skirmishes. Um, but I don't think they have the consistency to do that enough to like clean it up. I think if Afrika win, it's a 3-1. Um, I think if Afrika download Cloud9 and uh, just have a good read, which between their first round Robin and their second round Robin, it felt like they had a terrible read on the meta and then they cleaned it up and tightened it immediately, you know, going towards the Nocturne, recognizing how to use that pick. And, and then I think it's, you know, Cloud9 get one good sucker punch, but otherwise it's Afrika who, while the games will be slow and they'll look really uh, you know, close from like a gold perspective, if you're actually looking at what's happening in the pathing, where the vision's going and how Afrika are creating the windows to play around, that Afrika are still the smarter team in terms of, you know, our champion has this power window, we need to execute it on now, whereas Cloud9 feel more like they're shooting from the hip a little bit, where it's, mm -hmm. you know, in that like <laughs> mob moment, it's like, we can do it, we can do it, go, 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 go. And you have those miracle moments, so. So which is more likely though? Yeah, I think it's, 
I technically think it's more likely for Afrika okay. because of the scrim partners. Like, if you have this team that is super disciplined, yeah. that is really good at downloading, and they already have so much experience with Cloud9, and we saw how well Cloud9 performed at Group B, mm-hmm. well, if if they're getting that uh, that much good practice to have that type of performance, and we saw what Afrika was able to do, I'm like, uh, it wasn't as fancy or uh, uh, with so much flair, but if you go back and watch Afrika's pathing, how they're controlling their lanes, their individual performance, they also had a massive upgrade from... Uh, round one to round two of uh, the groups. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with that as well as the more likely to be in Afrika 3-1, even though uh, my pick'ems have C9 going to finals because I, I'm going to hedge my bets right here. You pick them, Kobe, you do the same thing. You pick what you want to happen. Pick for but on the part. show, I'm just going to say what I think is going to happen, and it, it's going to be close. And here's another thing that we oh, haven't... picking both sides. we got a couple of cheaters over here, Kobe. Yeah. we got six predictions here. I, <laughs> Four I respect <laughs> your boldness. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so one thing that I worry about for C9 is how well they adapt to, like, each stage. So previously, uh, the C9 rookies, Licorice, uh, Blabber, Zazel felt like they were really good in the NALCS studio. And then when they got on the big stage in Oakland, they struggled. And then they came back here for the gauntlet and they looked like C9 again. And I wonder how much of even going to the group stage in Busan in the first week was nerves. And then a second week, they were comfortable. You do move locations once again, and the stage is bigger. So I worry that they might have a slow start. And if they have a slow start against Afrika, I think they're going to have a hard time recovering. And this is just an additional point to like all the other things you guys have said. It's not the main point by any means. I think that you're right in your point that it should go a lot of games. But I do think if Afrika wins, Afrika wins handily. Uh, so as, as far as bringing up the difference in Cloud9 results game to game, that is one of the things I'm very worried about because inherently this style that you're talking about, you know, shooting from the hip, going for, you know, these really early game, you know, win lane, skirmishes here, skirmish mm-hmm. there, that is inherently a riskier style, right? Mm-hmm. So repeatability isn't as easy with that. I don't right. think it has at much to do with, you know, location changes um or like pressure changes for the rookies anymore since it has been like you know world's pressure has been on yeah um and i and i think i'd actually agree with reaper when he was like you know playing through play-ins so it's one of the best things that could happen to them mm-hmm. because we saw you know with the pressure on they did improve uh significantly from their playing performance to their group stage performance um and that's kind of why I feel like the you know upward trend of Cloud9 constantly improving this year um, is going to continue because it has been a trend that has extended far beyond just Worlds, right? Yeah. Goddamn 10th place team we have here in the World Quarterfinals. Um, yeah. And they've improved their play steps every single step along that way. You know, they got 0-3'd by Team Liquid in the finals. Still, they perform much better. Uh, you know, the, you say talk about the Group B performance on the last day. Like that, that team doesn't get three would on the finals. So yeah, I think that they have retained their learnings and their improvements. But I do agree, it's still risky. Right. Yes, Zazel. I'd also say I think the, the guy that had the the <laughs> most variance was Blabber. He did not perform well in play-ins. He doesn't even have to he, play. I, and I don't think he's going to play. Right? I, unless it unless it's going disastrously, I don't think Blabber gets to play because 
Uh, to me, while you know there certainly has been so, like some pretty high variance, I think the biggest difference was between Blabber's best games and Blabber's worst games, and and he does seem like he is being affected by the pressure. You know, when when you look at how he played in play-ins compared to his best games on the NALCS stage compared to at finals, right? It didn't seem like Blabber was able to handle that as well as some of the other uh, rookies on the team. You know, as, as well as Lakers and Zazel. So I think that he probably will just be removed from the equation unless Cloud Nine is getting slammed because I think Svenska. Aaron, you know, when you take in plan and everything has just looked so much better. Yeah. I want to move on to the other quarterfinal yeah. on this side of the bracket. Fnatic versus EDG. Uh, we're going to start with Fnatic and then move on to EDG and just quickly hit on what I feel like was a historic group stage performance. 4-0 and on the last day. 6-1 and overall. They went 4-0 uh, and on the last day last year too, didn't they? They're 4-1 on the last day. Oh, okay. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two tiebreaker wins. Yeah, Because yeah, he yeah, never yeah. loses tiebreakers. Uh, but more and so, we have still never won one. NA has yeah. never won a tiebreaker at World. Get the most clutch, the least clutch. <laughs> yeah. That Anyways, is, that, that, that is a true statement, Kobe. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of fanatic hype coming in. There's a lot of caps hype coming in. I feel like they over delivered on most of the things. Specifically, the two games they had against IG uh, are really the ones that I count because I do feel like Hundred Thieves and G Rex weren't even close yeah. to the rest of that Super group. Super outclassed. But as far as just impressions on this fanatic team, a lot of people. Actually Ask the question right now: Is this the best? I'm going to say European team ever. Which would be uh, best you soften the question? Well, so I do. I I do think we probably overdo like West versus East when each region does have their own identity. But it would be best Western team ever, as far as the question. Uh, we'll get into what they have to do to be considered that. But just what do you think of this fanatic team right now? Uh, I don't lie. I was supposed to come in and do all, all of my, after this is done, I'm all of my VOD prep work tonight is to actually just rewatch a bunch of Fnatic games mm-hmm. because my gut reaction, and it's hard for me to clarify, like, is this just recency bias? Because this is just like the last mm-hmm. group that I watch. But my gut reaction after watching Fnatic is, holy shit, they're the second best team in this tournament. Um, and I actually want them over RNG. Like, I think right now, if Fnatic play how they did, on that day against Invictus Gaming and RNG play how, how they did the most last the most recent time that we saw them. And I was all about like, no one's going to be RNG in a best of five. They are the best uh, 5v5 team in the tournament right now. But I don't think RNG, if they face that Fnatic, get to that point at this moment. I mean, I'd agree with that in the fact that RNG lost to both Cloud9 and Vitality in the final day of group stage and Fnatic beat IG like twice pretty convincingly so yeah if they played like they did in the last day of groups I think Fnatic would win that but now it's a question of you know has that always just been Fnatic uh, Fnatic Fnatic's power level or is this just now on the day Broxa decided to just take it to them and in a best of five they just start to slow it down which I hope they don't I hope we continue to see Mr. Broxa just slamming kids yeah Broxa and Lee Sin was one of my favorite parts of uh group stages every single Lee Sin game that he had actually and that was the crazy thing after mm-hmm. the first one I was like okay okay you know we, we've had you know big individual jungle hard carries at worlds before um but his consistency with that champion was insane I do think that this group was the most stratified group we had 100 thieves and g-rex uh which everyone predicted as well, you know, coming to the tournament as some of the very weakest teams that are mm. in groups. Yep. Versus uh, Fnatic and IG, um, very clearly the best two teams in that group, and it felt like it was a two-team um, contest. Yes. Uh, Fnatic are so it much was smarter, and it, and it, and it, it was, was a speed run when you're playing against 100 Thieves yeah. and G-Rex. And it was, it wasn't even though 100 Thieves had their own speed run versus G-Rex, and like they that was a slow. They what, take. What they, was like 40 the second games, game, right? 
I think that was also long. They were speed running. It just wasn't a very good time. Well, they beat they beat you because they weren't top ten. Mario Kart they're going the wrong way on the track. The guys are trying their best. Okay. If you think about it, everything is a speed run. Exactly. Just a great great point. Great point, Phil. Continue. Anyways, this this was basically the two team group with, you know, beating up on the other teams, and so the the real tests that we got to see were when they faced each other. Yeah. Um, and Fnatic did also win the tiebreaker, which, um, you know, gives more confidence to the, you mm-hmm. know, pressure situation for them. Um, and Europe, you know, has always had great records with tiebreakers. Um, but I am curious to see some of the mistakes that Fnatic made because they actually crushed this so hard. They probably have the best stats in every role for, you know, every player at all stages of the game because of it's how close. hard they smashed a lot uh, yeah. of G-Rex and 100 Thieves. But... There still were mistakes. Um, and in a group like this, uh, it does make me wonder, oh, uh, let's say versus 100 Thieves, like the dive caps made mid on Ryu. Uh, your question is, is he punished for that versus someone better? Does he even go for that versus someone better? Yeah, it's so hard to know. You also have to say like, okay, well, maybe they wouldn't make these mistakes if it wasn't a team that they had already beat handily. Um, but... This fanatic is not without um, its own possibilities for uh, reaction, right? And I think a lot of those do come with, um, you know, Caps is a very talented player, and he's very willing to take pretty much all skirmishes, all fights. Rookie dismantled him. They picked counterpicks, and that was the one thing IG really had over Fnatic. Yeah, the surprising fact of group stage is of all mid laners in all of group stage, Caps averaged the worst CSD mm-hmm. at 10. It's because Rookie had counterpick on him three times, and Rookie is the best mid laner in the tournament, but that's just an interesting fact. But it's also like weighting individual mistakes versus team mistakes, because I agree with you that there were mistakes, but when I look at Fnatic, there were mistakes made by individual choices. You know, Caps uh, trying too hard to all in engage, Caps maybe not losing as gracefully as he should have. Um, whereas when I look at Fnatic's team play, especially their Baron setups, I'm like, holy shit, they are so much cleaner than Invictus Gaming. There was mm-hmm. never going to be a world where IG would win a best of five against this team because Fnatic as a team are actually very intelligent. Now, if they can just rein in some of these individual mistakes where a player is left on their own, they decide to go for like the pop-off play and it bites them in the ass, then I think, boom, you have definitively the strongest Western team mm-hmm. that has ever appeared at a world championship. I mean, I, that's, why, that's kind of the reason why I think yeah. they do have a little bit more... Uh, to prove and to go in this tournament before we say for sure, you know, best Western team of all mm-hmm. time. I yeah. just said it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but again, cautioning, like it's it's not just like the Caps example. Whippo can can do those things as well, as amazing as he's been. Hillisong as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, can uh, get picked off for sure. I but Hillisong played great. With he definitely did. Yeah. Uh, I'm 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 prefacing yeah. possible yep. ways that that they don't you know absolutely destroy this tournament. I do think they're definitely favored versus EDG. Yeah. Um, for sure. I think I think they're for sure favored. And and as funny as it sounds, like so I I thought Rookie clearly was the better laner. Yes, he had counter picks, but he got big advantages against Caps. And that and as funny as it is to say. It actually gave me more confidence that Fnatic is like, can go far in this tournament to see mm. Caps losing anyway. lane and they just win anyway. Because at MSI, we watched Fnatic and we're like, yep, 
Caps is insane. He can play Yasuo and he can pop off and they can beat a team. And that's that's really great. Like that is impressive. You see this guy as the individual talent, but you cannot count like at the highest level to like win a world finals or whatever off of one dude just popping off every game because people will build strategies around shutting them down. This was a team that built strategies around shutting them down. They gave counterpick to rookie every game. Caps got behind every game. And then Fnatic's team play made it not matter. And I was just like, well, damn, they're actually just an insane team now. Like, because if your mid laner can get down 30 CS, who's considered your best player, you rookie gets a 1v2 kill. Like, that's mm -hmm. insane. And then, well, Fnatic's just going to keep pushing their side lanes. You're going to have Hillisang there nonstop. Brox is going to be there nonstop. Bwipo or Soaz is going to roam down. And they're going to get him back into it. And then it gets to the point where, well, wait a second. Caps has caught up. Now he's doing better than mm -hmm. Rookie is in the team fights. And like, if you don't have that one clear target, well, then Fnatic is just an insanely well-rounded team. That is what made me really start thinking, hey, maybe this is the best Western team we've ever seen. Because then it wasn't just about, okay, you have to have the one guy have the insane performance to beat these, these top teams. It's just an outplay as a team. And that, I think, was so impressive and gave me a lot of confidence that they should be heavily favored, I think, in, in any quarterfinal they could have drawn. Yeah, and I like that point because I want to think about the what what Fnatic has gone through to get to this point. And I'm going to reference some stuff that Reckless has said actually in the Euphoria podcast throughout the year. He was talking about in 2017 when they were having that like amazing run before Rift Rivals mm -hmm. and he was like the Kenan split push god or whatever. Yeah. He said that it was really stressful to play all of those games that year because the way Fnatic won was okay, we need to win a 1v1 or win a 2v2 and then we'll get like pressure and we'll get a lead and we'll snowball. And the only way they could do that is if they individually outplayed their opponents. So there was a lot of pressure to do that. And then he talked about how much he liked having Young Buck here because he said that that taught the team how to win without having to outplay your opponent individually. But what I find so interesting about that is the way IG wins is to force you into these individual outplay moments. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because Fnatic basically spent a year playing that way, they could still do that. Yeah. But because they spent a year trying to play the other way, that's actually how they really beat IG. Like they match the individual skill and then they put in the team play. And I do feel like almost the change in coach this recent might actually benefit them because a lot of teams that were always going to try and win by not outplaying are just never going to practice outplaying yeah. and vice versa. And I think we kind of saw both of those things on display in their two games against IG. That's all I got. I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's Trump. looking at me. Also I'm, cool. I agree. <laughs> I do think Fnatic is an amazingly strong team, um, but I haven't heard anyone... Uh, talking about the best West, like, yes, everyone has the idea that, oh, you know, this might be the best Western team. Did, did I stutter? Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> but like, so right now, let's compare it to, you know, Mike? teams that have had better uh, finishes, right? Origin. Yeah. So and, right and now, themselves. I think they are, but they don't get that title until they make finals. Do you think semifinals isn't enough? I do not think semifinals yeah. is enough. And I think that's fair Why? because otherwise you're just talking about potential. So, right? And we've had lots of teams that have looked good, but if they don't perform, I think you you still don't earn the title. Even even Fnatic themselves with Huni and Febivin, Febivin solo killing Faker at MSI, that team was so good. They I were good. Like. So that team, uh, let, let's, let's cast our mind back to that world championship in 2015. Uh, they did finish first in the group. But they started the group stage one and two yeah. and ended with a record of four and two. 
It got them the number one seed. They then played EDG in the quarterfinals, which they're going to do now. <laughs> so making it to the semifinals is the same. Yeah. They then failed to win a single game in the semifinals against Koo Tigers, who were a Korean team. So if they play Afrika, that counts. If they play Cloud9, uh, wait, wait, wait. If they play Cloud9, that still means they're getting the final. Cloud9 has, uh, has a Korean coach, so same thing. <laughs> one, one thing I will say that I think is really cool about this team, though, and the fact that they're in discussion is when you look back to that previous Fnatic team, it was with double imports. You know, two Korean players who yeah. were, I think, you know, you can argue the other players, but I thought that team was mostly, like, those were the biggest stars, right? Hooney and Rainover were, like, the bread and butter. They were the guys who, who everyone was talking about for the most part. Fnatic obviously had great other players don't get me wrong but that was what it was about and i just think it's really cool now that it's an all-european roster um that's doing it and it's it kind of reminds me of of a lot of the lpl success and how like they had moved more away from imports and there are still some and they are still successful but i think more regions are finding that hey like we actually do have some of the talent you know similarly cloud nine yes there are still imports there but you know like they get rid of impact they have licorice well they're in the quarterfinals and impacts out right you know i think that it's it's cool to see more teams uh finding these ways to success from their own talent pool so uh really impressive with i think Broxa right now is better than Rainover. Mm. was even I mean, at his best? even at the peak with with huni Broxa's performance so. you go 18 and 0 that's i think that's where you're coming from right they had an undefeated year exactly like, split in like so so you're you're like okay best western team what is your closest Second, then have you have you thought about? Well, the I just try to like completely even? erase 2015 from my mind. It's just like, what year was that? Uh, I just watching Broxa. Uh, I was talking to Spawn, and he made some really good points. Um, watching Broxa yesterday because we we use language all the time, and I have this terrible tendency where it's like the language always goes to like extremes because you're trying to like show how much passion you have for someone by like yeah. your word choice, and then when a situation occurs where a really big crazy moment happens and then now suddenly you're out of work and we're just to really excited. emphasize <laughs> brox's performance um on lee sin like future ucals are sitting at home watching that guy pop off and they will decide i'm going to be a pro gamer i'm going to go by lee sin i'm going to get that skin i'll see you broxa in <laughs> x years like that's how good it was and i don't like i don't have any other word in my vocabulary other than like that Wow. Yeah, we made future pro gamers by how good Broxa was. And I just don't think we've ever had a European jungler so far ahead of everyone else. Small anecdote. I tuned into a couple random uh, jungler streams just since then. Lee Sin. While we were off. Every single one of them was playing Lee Sin <laughs> because of that. So I have a question for you guys. So I obviously wasn't, you know, casting back in, in the really old days for League. Mm -hmm. And I did get a number of tweets uh, referencing Moscow 5, CLG EU, and teams like that from back in the, the day. The game was so different. And, and I don't have as mm. good of a reference point as you guys would. I had seen some games from them at Worlds, but like it wasn't like I ever watched a full year of them, so I don't have a good comparison point. I'm really curious how you guys feel some of the old legendary teams would kind of stack up. And it has to be compared to their own time. My argument for Moscow 5 would be that they fundamentally changed the way that people think about the game yeah. simply by how they dominated people. Mm -hmm. um, and to be fair to 2018 Fnatic, that is that gets progressively harder to do because more teams have tried different strategies and you know and more things have already been discovered so it's harder to have, you know, breakthrough moments. You can't yeah. discover the wheel twice. Yeah. Um, but Diamond Prox counter jungling and the way that they approach the game um, actually was like how a lot of people um and you talk about future pro players learned how to play the game and take yeah. it to the next step so 
I th- I think that is also like I think that's a true. decent one that you have to have the time frame for. Yeah, I think both CLG and EU and Moscow Five were like for a time best in world at their specific style, but that was also like six months into Korea having a server. Yep. Right. So that is what changes the equation a little bit because of what has happened since then, which is five straight years of Korean dominance who beat those teams in the beginning of their dominance, right? So at the time, compared to the world, I think they were better, actually, than this current 2018 Fnatic, unless this 2018 Fnatic wins Worlds, because I think those teams could compete with that uh, level. I just think that, like, I agree with all these points, but just this idea that we have we have two teams right now, at very least in this uh, tournament, that were, were designed to lift the Summoner's Cup. You have KT and you have RNG. And I think mm-hmm. Invictus Gaming would also throw their hat in the ring there. You know, they didn't come here to take second. They came here to take first. Um, and so, yes, that still means that Fnatic have achievements to do. But the fact that in a, in a tournament that has literal super teams with how much esports and League of Legends esports has grown mm-hmm. and how many more resources we have, how coaches are used, strategic coaches, um, on all of the money that, that power is in, um, it's just, it's a completely different animal. And I understand like Moscow 5, CLG EU, um, the 2015 Origin and Fnatic, but right now I just think that we talk about like golden eras right. and it felt like the golden era for the highest level of League of Legends used for me, it used to be 2014 LCK. Mm. Um, and now I, I actually think we're starting to see that happen again, where the game has so much versatility just because of the picks. It has so much individual talent because of the caliber of players that we have. And it has so many more resources to now combine all of those elements where you look at former Samsung White as a lot of people recognize as like the best team mm-hmm. in like a moment or a snapshot. Um, and I think that we're actually getting more teams that could start being on that pedestal as like, wow, look at what these teams were able to accomplish. Look at how intelligent they are. Look at how good they are. Mm. The only other small thing I'll add um, as to why people might be holding off a bit, even though Fnatic right now are playing amazing League of Legends, I feel like you always have to have some result to hang your hat on because so many Mm -hmm. amazing teams have choked at international competitions and worlds. And it does feel like one of those situations. We actually talked about this before and had a discussion of if the year is a school year, how Mm. much of your grade is world's (laughs) worth? Yeah. 70%. Show or fail. Yeah, this is like a pretty much you have to do the final. Or it's that's a, it. it's, 50, like, it's over 50%. Exactly. 100 thieves showed up and were like, but our attendance was perfect. Yeah. I don't understand how we <laughs> I mean, failed King the Zone, class. right? Kingzone yeah. was insane last year, but where no one ever really talks about Kingzone yeah. anymore. They got what? Maybe a C minus? <laughs> they didn't do well in the final. They were an A plus all the way through the year, but they got an F yeah. at Worlds. Exactly. So. So, yeah. so that's why I think a lot of people are like, Super excited for this question. Um, You're ready to check the box, but you can't do it yet. Yeah, right. Which means um, we need to talk about their opponent. Exactly. We spent a lot of time on Fnatic, yeah. so we it's need warranted. To they had a legendary group stage performance, yeah. and we're going to talk about EDG. It's a rematch for 2015, but this is a completely different EDG <laughs> that we're seeing now. Especially if Clear Love doesn't start, uh, then it would just be Mako who would be returning from that 2005 stint. Uh, Frosk. We'll start with you. You cast a lot of EDG games throughout the year. <laughs> I don't think you were expecting to cast any EDG games at Worlds I, because they were, what, fifth place coming into the summer playoffs? Yeah. They made it through the regional qualifier? The spark notes for those who didn't watch um, LPL is that this is not, I mean, Dad already said it, this is not the same Edward Gaming. They struggled all LPL split long, specifically around their shot calling. Now, I'm going to use a bunch of um, 
buzzwords and people hate it and I definitely need to redo the language, but we called Edward Gaming a um, fast tempo mid-game team, which was just our way of saying they love to play the early game. Like the first 15 minutes of Edward Gaming are very fast, very competent, usually pretty clean. And then they pick champions like uh, Kaisa and Varus and they would tool them to have mid-game power spikes on so on two items completed. And in that pocket, that's when EDG then look for the sucker punch. That's when they group up. That's when they try to hit you. And if you could survive 20, 25 minutes, suddenly Edward Gaming would fall apart to any other LPL team because they couldn't out team fight individually. Um, and they had really suspect Baron and macro late game shot calling where they would just always set up the Baron incorrectly. Um, you could tell what they wanted to do, but they didn't have the confidence to pull the trigger. So they started putting clear love back in the roster to fix mm -hmm. that. And I think a lot of those problems still exist. If Edward Gaming have towers to play around and they start the domino effect of the towers, their philosophy is to always make a play um, at the same time. Like there's always going to be uh, cross map movement. And so they're actually a, still a really strong 15 or 10 to 15 minute uh, team. So if you see them draft strong landers, you're like, okay, this is probably the best version of Edward Gaming I'm going to get. But consistently, it's just it's just not there. And so I think across the board, like stylistically, individually, Edward Gaming are completely on the back foot. The only advantage that they have is that they're the underdog here. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't feel bad as an LPL expert to say that I think that they're very heavy uh, underdogs here. They were never as uh, competent against Invictus Gaming as Fnatic have shown. Yeah, well, the LPL is the only region to get three teams through to the quarterfinals this year with what happened at Gen G, and Edward Gaming is the weakest of those teams. And I will say a few things. They have the lowest gold at 15 of any team in the quarterfinals on average at negative 877. Not great. <laughs> they have gotten first blood in 33% of their games, and I do think that uh, that group was pretty difficult. They were in it with KT Rolster. They actually beat KT Rolster, and if Team Liquid didn't upset them with their last hurrah, we would have seen a KT EDG tiebreaker for first, so they mm -hmm. were able to scrap some wins together, but uh, average game time, 35 minutes, actually not that fast, because I don't think they're great at closing games. But with all that being said, iBoy can be absolutely insane, yeah. and Scout is still an incredible mid laner. They're a uh, double-edged sword. So, you, you never know which EDG you're going to get. One stat I found really impressive looking through some of our, our prep talks was the fact that iBoy, not only was he the highest damage per minute of the tournament, he was one hundred more than 100 above second place, which was actually reckless. So, like, that is, is, is pretty crazy. Like, he was putting out a ton of damage, and I know you're, you want to talk about the context of that. Maybe you're looking kind of uh, doubtful. Damage? I'm, I have oh, nothing. Okay. I'm not oh, okay. going to say anything about your point. Um, Finish um, your point. I got my own. Okay. <laughs> um, but but iBoy had really impressed me. Um, I mean, he, he had looked really good on, on Kaisa, and one of the things I think, you know, like, we had... I've had a lot of guys who look good on Kaisa, but one of the things that had kind of impressed me is even in lane, like we have seen people be able to actually perform and, and even bully lanes on this champion that, uh, you know, people traditionally think of, of the late game scaling of, okay, you sit back, but then later on you, you kind of turn online and, and he seems to sometimes be able to make these late game carries look really good even early on. And his team fight is certainly super, super strong. What was the point you thought I was going to say? About oh, I just, just, <laughs> about your point. just just that, like, you know, damage from it is contextual, right? Oh. Like, because uh, I just saw you go, yeah, like, you yeah. play more. No, 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 no. Yeah. The, ooh, I'm not going to nitpick, nitpick you. I was actually going to add on. Okay. Um, not only did he have the stats, um, but he left a very memorable impression on me in the game where he is Zaya. Um, sitting outside of his own base. Uh, and he gave an interview afterwards where he said he knew that the Zoe was going to come try and snipe mm -hmm. him. Um, but 
casting that and us knowing that like seeing the zone yeah. and knowing that he didn't have vision of it uh when he tried to come through with the paddle star and he flashes and cues upwards um like even just that quick little l mouse movement or whatever um really had me uh getting excited like uh, he he definitely has good mechanics yeah that play was crazy I, so in the interview, did he say it was for Zoe? Because I know yeah. they had vision of the yeah, 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 yeah. So That's that's what I said on cast. Yeah. But apparently, he said in the interview afterwards that he knew the Zoe little Zoe like person <laughs> was going to come try and snipe him, and he was just waiting for it. It's pretty. That's insane. why. So if it was the Ezreal old thing, which I was thinking about a little bit more afterwards, I was like, okay, well, if it was that, you just he probably would have just moved um, ah. or just dodged. Yeah. But he dodges and kills her in the same mm. movement. Green so, thing. yeah, that was... I mean, the thing about iBoy is that um, I know he's getting a ton of praise and Mako hasn't looked great this tournament. It's probably been one of the worst tournaments for Mako. His Leona game in particular stands out to me. Uh, but ultimately, Mako's laned with uh, three or four different ADCs. Um, the three that are popping up are Deft, uh, Zet, and iBoy. And uh, Zet was was not a strong ADC. To go from Deft to Zet was a huge downgrade for Edward Gaming. And iBoy played maybe 10 games when he first debuted, and then he mm -hmm. immediately went into a final across from Uzi and was able to carry off the LPL trophy in like, his mm -hmm. first run at it, where it's like Uzi's like sobbing on the other side of the stage, like, how could this I happen like, oh, again? oh, this is easy. <laughs> well, when you have someone like Mako, and I know in uh, in scrims, a lot of players will say um, laning against Mako and whatever partner he happens to have at the time, you take one side of the matchup, and then you scrim them, and then you lose. And you're like, okay, maybe I'll just take the other side of the matchup. Maybe that's how it works. And then you take the other side, and then you lose, and it starts messing with players because they're like i just don't understand it's actually breaking my my morale i don't understand anything about this game and you start to have that identity crisis mm -hmm. so while iboy mechanically so sound and mako has been so suspect um the consistency that this guy has had over his career for a dominant lane phase i do think that he needs to get a lot of credit for how he has especially trained such a raw adc to have such a dominant lane phase because if if edg don't win that lane phase they they pretty much utterly collapse yeah and i also would say that in the group stage ray had a lot of really big games yeah uh and he i felt like didn't have a great regular season i know we talk about how edg had an identity crisis throughout the regular season didn't really know how to win i think a lot of that was like ray's transition to being able to be a tank player versus just a carry player and actually like fit a team composition put him in the pasta machine and just like i don't want spaghetti i want ravioli now <laughs> yeah but with all that like uh if he is able to have the kind of laning performances he had in the group stage, that's going to go a long way in beating Fnatic. Because I think if you look, Scout, iBoy, Ray, at least they have the chance of beating the Fnatic guys in lane, which you can't say about every team uh, who's here in the quarterfinals. Do you guys want to do predictions for Fnatic EDG? Sure. I feel like we're all going to say Fnatic is the favorite. Yeah. It's yeah. just a matter of... Should I get to go first? Yeah, go for it. Fnatic 3-0. That's not shocking. I'm also saying 3-0. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> You're like, 3-0! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, give, I give EDG a bit more of a chance than that. I mean, Fnatic, don't get me wrong. I think that they're a really strong team. I think that they look great. But, uh, you know, we only saw them 
really have one challenge in the group and yep. it was IG yeah. and they did lose a game against IG uh, and in that game you know it did look a little bit ugly so I do think that Fnatic and, is and you certainly think IG not IG are better than Edward Gaming probably yeah I, I think they are they but should I, be but I think, I think they are I think yeah. that it's you know I think that I can definitely see EDG picking up a game like I'm going to put it at 3-1 I think Fnatic are heavy favorites but I don't think they're infallible and I think there's no team that really is uh, in the tournament right now I yeah just, Oh. I, I think the the group point is a good one because I feel like every group except for Group D had like a worthy opponent that didn't make quarterfinals. There was like three finals, teams, yeah. Right? Like Vitality narrowly missed out. Flash Wolves lost out in the tiebreaker. Team Liquid missed out by one game. It's like 100 Thieves and G-Rex. They were like, never going to beat th these They teams, weren't competing. Yeah. So that just means that there's, there's one other team to truly like track fanatic skill against and if ig actually is like worse than we're giving credit for then suddenly the fanatic wins aren't as impressive which is just a caution i throw out i'm not saying it is something that is true um so i'm gonna go three one because i also think that's more likely than three o's just in general to randomly I mean, beat a team once i mean of course it's, <laughs> there's always there's always going to be a game where someone like flunders a draft and then they get into the game, like, I have one win yeah. condition. It goes there out in the first seven minutes because someone decided to have a bad... Boom, three Did you say Flandre's a draft? Or... Well, Flunders. <laughs> <laughs> Flunders. Like, hey, Flandre. not even here. <laughs> Just have to take that's that one more... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's always a possibility. But, like, again, I think it's really important to, like, set the expectations of if Fnatic or if Edward Gaming win a game for me, it's because Fnatic just completely disrespect in a draft they have very limited win conditions yeah. that one win condition is shut down and then from there they just like get outscaled by like a an azir in the mid lane like oh well we lost this at seven minutes now we have to play to 45 really quickly both these teams have used their substitutes in the tournament does Fnatic start soaz or bwipo and does edg start clear love or haro i think they start soaz i don't think it matters too much I thought Whippo played really yeah. well, actually. But I, that, but I think that they start with Soaz. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Whippo better off the bench. Unless I think the strategy with Whippo is to prioritize the Aatrox Urgot, like they did with the crazy flex picks from mm -hmm. Red Side. And I think that I'm not doubting that Soaz couldn't play those champions, but I feel like maybe it's actually a specific strategy with Whippo because he can maybe play both sides of that matchup and it offers them more flexibility. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's something to watch for. If that seems to be a reoccurring trend, then other teams need to hone in on and be like, okay, if Whippo starts, we need to take the Urgot Aatrox matchup much more seriously because now Fnatic can completely deny us uh, without forcing any bans. And now that we've fully hyped up the West, it's going to be Afrika and EDG in the semifinals. <laughs> <laughs> Back right. to reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Christmas right. is canceled, everybody. Yep. Time Hopefully to move on. not. Uh, we're going to move on to the third quarterfinals. This one is going to be RNG G2 as we move our way around the bracket. Yep. Um, you know, RNG certainly... Everyone was thinking that they would go 6-0 after the first round robin. Mm -hmm. Everyone was thinking that this team is 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 looking, you know, like the best or second best team for sure in the tournament. Uh, now you yourself put Fnatic perhaps over them. So, you know, they have shown that they are vulnerable, but is G2 the team to, uh, to prey on that? I think if G2 was going to have an advantage, it would be in attacking Let Me uh, in the top side of the map and playing that advantage into a 1-3-1, which they have demonstrated many times mm -hmm. they're extremely good at finishing games with. Um, I don't uh, think that is going to give them the overall advantage in the best of five. I still think RNG are probably favored coming into this, but that would probably be the best route for EDG to attack, I think. 
Ar- G2 to or, attack. Uh, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, G2. I was going to be like, this is Uzi's <laughs> nightmare. He got Edward Gamey again. He's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think RNG is glad they didn't get drawn IG because that was a possibility. I think they're going to be pretty happy with this matchup for G2. Yeah. And uh, Deficio mentioned this right after the draw happened. He, th- he said for G2 that, like, even though they don't have a great chance, they're actually okay with this one because RNG is a slower team on the spectrum of the teams that we have in the quarterfinals, which means maybe they're going to be able to play defensive bottom side like the same way that they were able to 1-3-1 or 4-1 down everyone else. Uh, I don't think it is uh, likely. Have a hypothetical question. Does Sharnan's Heimerdinger beat Uzi in the 2v2? I don't think it beats Uzi, but I actually think he will get it. Um, So the reason why I ranked Fnatic, like, from watching Fnatic over RNG, I was like, okay, Fnatic have now shown that they can play late game, they can play early game, and their drafts are really smart. And one of the biggest weaknesses of RNG is actually their drafting phase. Even before you get onto the Rift, um, sometimes, like majority of LPL teams, they just draft like bananas. Like, it's just ridiculous, The either the hubris or um, bad meta reads or whatever it is, not prioritizing things. Are they, uh, is the coach of banana doing the drafting, drafting like a banana? Or, or are they actually drafting champions that are like banana? <laughs> I've never been a cons with them. It's Coach Hart. <laughs> coach Hart and Kesman that stands behind them. But I, I oh. kind of have a feeling in that, you know, I've worked as a drafting coach for teams that oh. if you have someone like Uzi on your roster uh, and he's like, no, I'm playing this, you probably don't get to say, no, play this, yeah. um, would be would be something that I would caution looking at some of those drafts. So I would say the only way that G2 get Heimerdinger is if Uzi specifically is like, let him have Heimerdinger. I'm doing this specific thing to destroy mm-hmm. this Heimerdinger. And that might not work versus Hjarnin they did because... With the Zillion pick, they wanted to exactly. see Jensen's Zillion pick and they just yeah. want to see how it would go. So that that would be the scenario where I would see, you know, a G2 Heimerdinger in action. Um, and I actually want to see that because I want to see what they try. And if if no matter who he gets to practice against Heimerdinger or whatever, it's not going to be Hjarnin. That's the big point, I think. So, and it's not going to be Heisendong. He's over here. So <laughs> I don't know if they have uh, some one trick uh, Chinese t- two, Heimerdingers and Challenger. Two Heimerdinger players in the LPL and one of them was SMLZ. Yeah. Um, so the actual experience that the LPL has with Heimer, very, very low. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so hard is even if you find someone to practice playing Heimerdinger, if they don't play it in the same way and the team doesn't play the same style, it's not the same practice. It does, it's not a one-to-one type thing. And I think that's kind of what happened to Flash Wolves mm-hmm. against G2. They're like, oh, I've played more at a bunch. I know how to beat Heimerdinger. Well, this guy's not... Yeah, they he's, die easily, he's, right? He doesn't play it in the same way. <laughs> and I just think that uh, the point that you had made that you know Deficio was talking about, you know, where stylistically... Uh, this is a good matchup for for G2 because they're a team that wants to just play defensively bot lane, you know, play safe lanes. Uh, not They're not a team that has to win through bot because you're probably not going to be able to do that against Uzi or very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it makes a lot of sense, you know, for them to try to play that style. And Heimerdinger is the pick that enables that style best. So I, I feel like it would be a, a really big mistake for RNG to ever give it to them because I think, you know, if you give him Heimer, we have seen that he can hold lanes, that he can play defensively, and that gives Wonder the chance to outplay top and make the game about the split push because I really do think that's the way that G2 has a chance to win. I mean, Wonder has been fantastic. Uh, certainly, arguably, the, the best top laner you know, out, out, out mm-hmm. of the West. Um, and if he is able to get a preferential matchup and the rest of the team can hold even, 
they can maybe do it, but I certainly uh, think it, you shouldn't allow them those sort of picks. I think if you're trying to break their mental, you just do it game one. And, and this, is one, this is one thing that— And then what are you going to do now? It always makes it difficult for me to analyze RNG because I do feel like they are a team that has a switch in some way. Mm. Uh, they had such a long and exhaustive year. Uh, winning spring and summer split, winning Rift Rivals. Basically, their entire roster went to Asia Games when everyone else was on break. And in MSI groups, they had that slow start and then wrecked the bracket stage. And when they're coming into this group against Genji, who they beat in the first round robin, like I, I do genuinely question whether or not they had like turned it on for week two. Or were they just saying, we think we're the best team in this tournament there's no way we're not getting top two. Why would you ever turn a switch like that off? <laughs> Listen, it's it's so like I, I, don't even, I don't even think they turned it on in the first week is what I'm saying. I think they just kind of got the three wins and then we're just right. like, yeah, we're, we're going to really turn it on in bracket stage because it's a month and a, it's a month long tournament. And you have you, know? um, you have plenty of, of proof of RNG actually doing just that. You know, the fact that Uzi takes so many breaks because ultimately uh, the LPL, we play more games than anyone else. We play more tournaments than anyone else. You know, it's not just uh, Asia games that they were stepping out of. It's things like Demacia Cup, like NEST. Mm -hmm. um, Chinese League of Legends players, they never stop playing the game and burnout is a very real thing they also moved into their Beijing arena um, all of their families their girlfriends are all in Shanghai and so you know you now not only have like a very intense workload but your your break time has been separated from you so I, I do think that there was a real case of burnout or exhaustion happening for the RNG guys especially at the the end of uh, even the domestic split um, the the thing, though, that I want to really caution against, kind of like switching back to the matchup, is people mm. keep using this word uh, stylistic mismatch. You know, the 1-3-1, one, one, the split push versus the best team fighting team in the world. And don't get me wrong, I also think that RNG have very different looks on international versus domestic. Like how they play internationally, it seems like everyone just flying Vs behind Uzi or in front of Uzi. And he's just like the puck and they put him through. Mm -hmm. um, but domestically, RNG play tons of 1-3-1. They're the only LPL team that actually can run a 1-3-1 yeah, so alongside... Uh, Invictus Gaming, tons of rise. So, do you have confidence in Let Me for that though? If Let Me plays how we did when we most recently saw him, no. But if Let Me plays how we did domestically, absolutely. Let Me was really strong top laner um, because we have you know people like Duke and the Shy and Ray even on an upswing playing in the LPL. And Let Me was just fine against them. You know he wasn't sacking. He's known to just kind of fifty fifty a lane. He'll survive, neutralize whatever. And his cross map plays are strong enough to play a one three one. So I do not want fans to think that RNG will just get. Split push that if oh you know if g2 can just get out of lane phase and they get split push it's done because rng have shown that they have you know 20 million games if you go back and watch the regular split playing mm. one three one also well i would also say that 5v5 team fight with hard engage isn't a stylistic mismatch against one three one like they are different styles oh yeah and yeah. they can beat them but like a good 5v5 engaged team can actually smash a one three one team if they execute as well as rng does and one one small point I would say is when you know when I talk about the difference in styles and why I think that gives G two a better chance, it's not that I think the G two style has an advantage over the RNG style. It's yeah. simply that if you are a worse version of RNG playing the exact same style, I think you never win the series. You know, you play mm -hmm. the series twenty times, you lose twenty times. I think playing a different style of game gives you more of a chance against Uzi because otherwise it's just like Hyarnin is not Uzi. He, you know, if, if you're both putting everything into those guys, you bet on Uzi every time. Whereas 
they're you know playing a different style of play it's the same reason that i had you know have more faith against cloud nine upsetting like an rng than i would you know against uh, some of the other teams who play more standard so not that i give g2 the advantage more that i give them more of a chance than if they played st fully standard kobe any thoughts on the matchup before we do predictions i agree with azale <laughs> uh because I mean, exactly like you're saying, you can't do the exact same thing versus RNG. They have proven over mm -hmm. the year and all of the things that they have won that they are the best of this standard style. Yeah. And I personally think that style is better than 1-3-1. One one. I think it's more reliable. I think if you're playing the percentages, then I think if you're playing percentages, that is the best style to play. And RNG mm -hmm. is, the bat, is the best team at playing that style. That's why I think that they have been the best this year and yeah. why uh, I favor them still in this tournament, even though... The, this world's meta is cha is changing and going more, uh, giving more advantages to the people that are trying to play more one three one and more early game. Um, I still think that the RNG style is more reliable. All right, I'm going to say RNG three zero uh, because I think that if RNG is really going to gear up with having most likely KT in a week or if not IG, like they need to turn on that switch now. Uh, and I think they will be able to. Would you say this is the would be the biggest upset if G2 wins of all the quarterfinal matchups? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right. I just said I think RNG strongest team. I mean, we said that there are no imposters, and I do agree. I, mm -hmm. I definitely think G2 deserve to be here. Um, but then it goes back to that other question of like, you know, if Vitality was in this group, would this have been Vitality over G2? And that's really interesting because they're, they both come from the same mm. region. Um, so I just think that if you were going to target like maybe one spot that you might switch out, I think a lot of people will hone in on Afrika and G2 just because of the the, the competitiveness of Group A versus right. other groups. All right. Uh, 3-0 here. Quick. I'm going to go three one just because I, I do think that they're you know Wonder has played so incredibly that I give them the one game where Wonder pops off where they can split push it out. I think they have enough talent in the solo lanes and especially if you guys feel that they get Heimerdinger one game, I think I think you have a, a chance to win. Just that a game. banana draft. Yeah, I think I think that can for sure happen, um, but I yeah heavily I, favor. RNG. I think at least, I think they get one as well. I think they at least get one. Um. If it's Carsa, then I would say uh, it would be a 3-0. I think if MLXG comes in, then suddenly you're looking at some some shenanigans. I'm interested again. <laughs> I want to talk about MLXG. I, I want to go a little bit more. Because yeah. MLX, it, it's really funny. What I've seen kind of as the progression of RNG over group stage um, was that you had to crack through Carsa. And they, <laughs> they, had to, they had to be like, oh, we're starting to lose some games here with, uh, you know. But why is it like she like, like the dude that you call up? Like, because <laughs> that's their only card. That He's they the have closer. Left. That's the only other card they have she, left to play. Should be the starter because then you just start messing with them mentally. You just you don't know what's gonna happen. This guy's crazy. He's just flying out of the woodwork. How and the can you know what he's gonna, gonna like, do if notes. he doesn't know what he's gonna do? <laughs> it's, you're a little bit too scared to use that card that you only go to MLX in desperation in your time of desperation, yeah. like. <laughs> Yes, I'll answer the call. <laughs> it's like the it's like the popcorn thing that I found so hilarious from Reaper uh, talking about Blabber. It kind of applies mm. here too, where he's like, "Yeah, Blabber's like a popcorn. You don't know which way he's gonna pop, you just, right?" You don't expect someone to sit in a bush for two minutes just yeah. waiting for that perfect gank. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I think they only get to MLXG if they win a game versus Carso. I think they have to win two games two. against Carso. Yeah, you have really the final have, boss. And then you, you gotta add, like you the gotta red make phone. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you grab the emergency phone. All right, let's move the on. Banana to the, phone. Let's move on to the last one. Yeah, dude, KTIG, uh, the final quarterfinal we're going to talk about. We started the episode 
with this like Western celebration about the left side of the bracket. We were happy about that. There's no way KT and IG are happy about this side of the bracket, specifically KT. I can't imagine like a harder path for them to get here. I feel like they get the best two seed. And then if they win, they have to face RNG most likely. If there's something we've learned over the years, Jat, it's that you need to have your Western celebrations as soon as possible when you can, while you can. Okay. <laughs> it's also like the difference of like lens. You know what I mean? Uh, Western fans, they watch, uh, they watch like the, the draw and they're like, oh, you know, this is excellent. Our chance of actually getting a Western team in the finals has skyrocketed. Yeah. Whereas like LCK fans, you watch a team like KT and undoubtedly that side of the bracket is like the Smash. Olympus side of the bracket. It has so many gods, so many super teams but that get to the finals but it's also like you have to go through them anyway and kt didn't come here just to like you know the lck team made the semifinals this year they're great no they're like we came here to actually win so we go through mm -hmm. you now or we go through you later yeah definitely agree i mean yeah. you know there's the no way they're happy about the draw though like they're going to be able to deal with it <laughs> but what are your thoughts on the actual matchup because everyone's yeah, yeah, exactly this is the this is the matchup uh that everyone's looking to as like all right this is our preview of you know what's going to be the explosive super high level games yeah i mean i mean listen ig was a team that before i saw you know fanatic beat them twice in a row i was thinking this team could be 6-0 like they were one game away from ending the group stage 6-0 being the only team that was there their individual players are like some of the best in class uh, i feel like especially in the mid and the top lane like they can match or even gain advantages on kt which uh, i think these are both fast teams that, that play against each other. So that is a way that IG can generate some wins. Uh, I have KT as the favorite, but I see IG as a very scary opponent. I, when I saw the IG games at the last day, the biggest takeaway for me was this bottom lane is in deep water. Yeah. Uh, I think that they are a liability as far as just that day of games. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, uh, there was a lot of individual mistakes from Jackie Love in team fights, as well as in lane. Um, Bao Lan as well wasn't didn't inspire a lot of confidence. So that's if I'm KT, I'm thinking we got Def down there. I am, you know, ease of mind. I mm -hmm. I feel like in the early game, especially KT um, should be able to handle. You know, weather the storm, even if, you know, Ning goes out, you know, flipping coins, trying to invade red buff uh, over and over and <laughs> looking for uh, every duel he can find. Time. Uh, so that's that last day, actually, may, maybe took this down a notch for me and, uh, mm. and really pushed me to the KT side. Yeah, I think I think that the soul laners, though, you can come away uh, from those games against Fnatic thinking, damn. They have some six soul laners. They've got yeah. three good players. Unfortunately, two of them share the same position. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the Shy, like, even though the Fiora game was pretty one-sided, he still got really big advantages in the side lane. He looked good individually. Obviously, Fiora can't really team fight. When that Baron got forced, the game was done. Uh, Duke was popping off on Aurelia. Uh, yeah. Rookie was nuts all three games. But yeah, I, I'm very similarly aligned with, I was so disappointed with Jackie Love and Balan. There were so many times where Jackie Love, with no vision in the area, is walking the dangerous route mm -hmm. and getting picked off because of that, getting spotted walking up to the top lane turret, gets spotted on a ward, they dive him, walking through the river instead of walking behind the Even turret. Even just walking reckless. by Reckless. And Reckless is like, yep. get, get back in base. <laughs> Failing to flash the level two Lee Sin gank and then flashing after the Q has hit you and not after the, the Lee Sin is already to you. Like he did so much wrong that I came away from that though thinking, okay, that is not like, you're not good enough mechanically because those things were 
pretty simple. That to me felt like nerves or, you know, in, in some, some ways, uh, Bowland similarly, some of his engages while like he actually hit the engage, no one was around. I remember one engage where he's flashing over the Raptor pit Leonardo, and he's like, yeah, yeah. he's flashing over and he's eating and he's ulting reckless. And it's like, sweet engage, bro. Your soul laners are like by the dragon and over by the red buff. No one's there. So, uh, if the bottom lane though can minimize mistakes, the soul laners look so damn good that I think they can challenge KT. Um, but that is is maybe a big if, right? It's it's very easy to say, oh well, just don't do the bad stuff, and then you only have the good stuff. But um, Jackie Love and Balan certainly were concerning. Rookie was incredible. Uh, he has the highest CSD of any player in all of Worlds during groups. He was averaging plus twenty four at fifteen, and you you do have to take in consideration that. They had two pretty easy teams comparatively. Like they super outclassed uh, everyone but Fnatic. So, you know, that does play into it a bit. But I do have hope for their solo leaners. I don't have a lot of hope for the bot lane. I think the the series is going to come down very heavily to if Jackie Love and Balan can show up uh, more heavily than they did uh, against Fnatic. Because if they play that same level, I think you get slammed. I mean, it's it's kind of good news and bad news. Good news is is that Jackie Love's first big exposure to the international I audience. I want to go to the restroom real quick. Dracos has set the precedent. Th that's allowed? You can just like pause time. and... Goodbye, Kobe. I'll miss you. I've never seen this happen before. Yeah. Well, you didn't watch the Euphoria 90-minute <laughs> collab episode. Yeah. Only when we have guests does this happen. What is what is that? He just go, he just, he's gone. Uh, it's a long podcast and we yeah. drank a lot much, of water. I also like Jackie have to go to the so he literally just pulled a, a like a wolf. He's like, my chair is uncomfortable. Can I, can I please go? Uh, no, what I was going to say is there's there's two primary problems. Um, uh, team fighting and then individual decision making. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why Invictus Gaming are one of the weakest LPL team fighting teams is because of Ning and Baolan. If you watch them in team fights, their individual mechanics are not consistent. So there's way too much variance there. Mm -hmm. um, but also their target selection, when they're using their cooldowns, how they're controlling zones, they are simply outclassed by pretty much every other opponent. Ning and uh, Jakulov both had incredible starts for this tournament. So I feel like people like kind of kind of got mm -hmm. their lips wet on Invictus Gaming. They're like, oh, this is, a, this is an amazing team. This is going to be great. Uh, and then reality kind of sunk back in where you start to see more consistent performance. How IG played the back half games against Fnatic mm -hmm. last two are much closer to performances from Balan and Ning that we've well, seen for the last 10 weeks of LPL yeah. Domestic. I think that's interesting because when, when you say reality for this team, I think there are two realities for this team. Not necessarily like one is true versus the other being a mirage because... They absolutely did go 18 and 1 in both spring and summer sports. Yeah. Right. So, like, I think on a day, Ning can flip the coin properly and be amazing. And then the, on the other day, he flips the coin and feeds and has the most deaths of all junglers in the LPL, right? So, but I don't want to, I don't want to like gamble and bet the house exactly. on that. You the don't want to gamble on it, but like, I, I feel like they still have the potential to be great while they also have the potential to be awful. Yeah. I just think they have very high variance. It's also, because um, I, I agree, those are very good points. It, and I don't want to downplay Invictus Gaming. I have this terrible tendency. I'm a very critical caster. When I look mm -hmm. at IG, I'm like, there are so many problems here. They were never contested on their problems. They yeah. never had to learn from their mistakes. Because there's one thing to say, like you have an incredible domestic season in um, LPL, mm -hmm. but in the LPL over the course of the years, and not just for 2018, um, there's just this sixth gear that these repeated teams find and they pop it in mm -hmm. and they turn up in playoffs. And because you play so many games in the LPL and a lot of them, frankly, just don't really matter, yeah. um, unless you show up in playoffs, you don't matter. And 
uh, Invictus Gaming have been around since 2011. Um, they've only missed playoffs twice, but they've only been to an LPL final twice. The mm-hmm. most recent one and uh, one in the very beginning. And so from a, from a much larger timeline, very different rosters, but also kind of like this iteration of the roster most recently, it's like... Until Jackie Love can actually step up in the spotlight, until Ning has a consistent performance when it counts, they just don't get to be in the conversation like RNG, who are are completely dominating it right now. And that's maybe just a very different lens of like LPL because we watch, you know, 20 million games and you just get so much clockwork orange. You're just watching Ning like Miss Barons and I'm done. I will say though, like from the outside perspective, so I'm I'm a bit of an IG fanboy because I love the shot. Oh, really? And I I watch all his games and, uh, you know, I'm always like, yeah, this is how every top laner should play. Um, But I do think they get a bit of a bad rap because. People talk about them like, ah, they're not on that level. But as Jet said, they had an incredible regular season. But they also, I, I feel like people forget or don't give them credit for the fact that they lost 3-2 to RNG in spring without the Shy playing, who was their best performer in spring. And then even in summer, so the Shy was back, but they only lost 3-2 as well. And and you can make the arguments about, okay, well, RNG threw at Baron in game three, which allowed them to get close. But then IG threw in game five, which allowed RNG to win. So it's like, I still think... Like, this is a team that was competitive with IG. It's not like they had a good, great regular season and then got super slammed, like, immortal style in playoffs, right? This They've is a team that... They've only lost to three teams the entire year. KT, RNG, and Rogue Wars. Those yeah. are the only three teams, mm-hmm. now Fnatic, that Invictus Gaming have lost to. Exactly. So, it's you know, I do want to give them their due a little bit in the fact that they really did have very close best of fives against RNG in both spring and summer. They did fall short, and I think that... You know, certainly Jackie Love in those pressure situations, you know, Ning is a bit of a coin flipper and Jackie Love has some very disappointing got nerves. high pressure games. High pressure. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's games, I can't even remember exactly what series it was. It might have been the spring RNG one. It was spring like, RNG. He's like flashing into a turret and died. trying to peace, built over Peacemaker someone <laughs> who he then, who he misses and there's like three other people around him. They're like, oh, well, I guess you're dead now. And it was just like, even if it worked, it was terrible. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But... Uh, I do think that they are more competitive than sometimes people are giving them credit for it because people are remembering the the losses to RNG, but maybe not uh, remembering how close they were. That being said, I still think KT is favored, but this is a team that, you know, if Jackie Love can have a consistent performance, they they could actually win, I think. There's um there's a history concept uh, called the axe that miss Alexander and mm-hmm. the idea that um there's these small instances in history that if things had gone differently then history mm-hmm. would have been dramatically changed and I feel like the spring semifinal between RNG and Invictus Gaming what if the shy was playing that's the thing though because you look at the the timeline and if Invictus Gaming have the shy who Duke accounted for 80% of IG's losses, that split. The Shy was head and shoulders very easily the better top laner um, in that game. And they win that semifinal. They go to finals. Let's say they win the cup. Mm -hmm. Who cares about MSI? Like, It doesn't even matter if Invictus Gaming win MSI. But the thing is, is that RNG, if Uzi is denied another championship, if he doesn't go to MSI and win that international title and get that experience on Ming, then you suddenly don't have this 
this super uh, power RNG. Because when I look at RNG yeah. and how they've leveled up now, I think that, you know, this is confidence. This is finally the mental blocker. And Uzi himself has said in interviews, you know, there's like a haze that falls over me. You watch his reverse sweep against Edward Gaming. It's not Uzi locking in the Kaisa or taking the Ezreal, like deciding that he's going to be the carry. It's Uzi taking a step back and saying, I'm going to play Ash. He eats a Sejuani ult. He messes up his QSS. He just plays, frankly, he played like garbage that game. And it's like the pressure is waiting down on him. You see like these emotional reactions. 2018, Uzi says, come and beat me. Everyone laughs and says, beat you. Like, everyone's beating you. What are you saying? But he locks in, you know, the Ezreal. He decides that he's going to be the carry, and suddenly he's playing with the confidence of knowing that he can get it done. And if you strip all that away in that single moment... Mental state matters a lot. That was the battle that decided the war. And I think from that context is really, really interesting of how these different well, timelines... Yeah. Co, uh, co-sected. Because then if IG wins that game, does Jackie Love have confidence? Does Ning have consistency? You start asking those questions. And another team that loves what-ifs, Kobe, you get to join us for our KT discussion. You don't get to hear IG, though. It's I disagree over. with everything Jack said <laughs> while I was gone. Yeah. <laughs> he said I Kobe said you were was great. one of the great jugglers, yeah. <laughs> one of his <laughs> favorite casters. Really, there was He's Broxa like, and Kobe. Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Western yeah. jungle performances. <laughs> but very clearly, Kobe disagrees. Yeah, he disagreed. Uh, this does remind me of 2015 KT a little bit mm. because 2015 KT uh, I feel like got hosed in the quarterfinal draw uh, they had to play the Koo Tigers who ended up going all the way to finals and were 4-2 with the Flash Wolves but they dropped two to the Flash Wolves and didn't get the tiebreaker and I feel like IG is the strongest pool two seed and has that potential to really go far if they hit the right side of the coin and if they gain that confidence and KT I feel like has the same types of of pressure failures in the past is just the question of how much confidence did they gain when they won that LCK championship? Because that series against Griffin was insanely close. There were so many things that could have gone the other way in all five games to get it to that very end. And yes, they won. So if they play with the full confidence of what we expect KT to be, yes, they're going to be the best, but there's always that question, especially if they start feeling like they're a little bit unlucky with the draw. A lot of this, too, uh, for me, revol revolves around the mid lane matchup. I don't know if you guys already touched on on that, but Rookie versus KT, again, is kind of... This is the, the you know, him, his last team versus the new guy on the block, mm -hmm. UCAL. There's a lot of pressure on UCAL. He's still so young. He's in a rookie position there. Um, and if it starts to turn into... Uh, rookie getting counterpick and smashing mid lane as we saw him do against mm -hmm. Fnatic, even though they didn't uh, necessarily win all of those games. Rookie himself had a huge impact. Um, I mean, that can start to weigh more and more on your mind, and especially as a rookie on this stage. KT, this is supposed to be the year for KT. Yeah. Gore finally got his trophy. You know, we're doing it this year. Like, we everybody joined this team to win. I feel like the extra levels of mental pressure, especially for mm. him. Uh, are going to be intense. I think one of the the things that I was super super impressed with KT about is, you know, you talk about the inconsistencies from IG, and this is a team that feels like better than any other team in the tournament. They punish your mistakes because it always felt like the time from Baron to win was like that. Like they, if if you mess up that team fight and they get the Baron. The game just felt so over so fast, whereas lots of other teams were like, all right, we'll get the first Baron, then we'll get the Outers, then we'll get the second Baron, and we'll get the first Hib, then we'll go for the Elder, and then, you know, and then we'll close on the third. They're just like, well, we're just going to win in three minutes after you lost that mid lane team fight. And, you know, when you pair that with the fact they actually got the first turret in every single game, 
Like their early game is good. Mm. Their closing is incredible. Like that was the most impressive part about KT for me is just it felt like they have this killer instinct and they know exactly how uh, how far they can push, you know, when they get in a lead. So I think that it becomes so important to have strong laning performances against them to never really make that mistake, to never really give them that that one fight because I think KT looked, you know, by far the best at closing games and uh, you know, if you end up giving them that advantage, it it just felt like okay, well, the game's done. It's just the versatility of KT. It's the fact that um, you know they could go into this best of five, and we could have an incredibly bloody, very back and forth, hyper skirmish heavy best of five, mm-hmm. where you know like new mechanical ceilings are being set on champions that we weren't even aware existed. Or you could have a very controlled, very suffocating. Uh, quick best of five where KT are just reading the map. They're playing around their pressure points. Uh, they only need to, you know, that one, two jab. And it's just looking for that one punch to knock Invictus Gaming out. And I think if it goes into more of kind of this back and forth, very skirmish heavy, then IG have a very heavy chance. But unfortunately, I haven't seen IG be able to play that type of style. And I have seen KT play that type of style. So in terms of holistic win conditions, stylistically, you always have to wait KT. All right. 90 minutes in. You got a prediction for the last one. Uh, KT three one. Kobe. KT three zero. Woo! Oh. Score and deft way better for, than their opponents and their. Uh, and he didn't even need to listen right. to the IG section to get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm gonna give him a game. I'm gonna go three one just because I do think that uh, rookie Duke and the shy have played so well that you can get an advantage off of solo lanes and snowball in, in one of those games. IG has only lost best of fives in the fifth game. Go five. 3-2. <laughs> I like They it. also lost like a third, fourth place match best of five faster than that. Yeah, but that, that, that one doesn't count. Uh, that was that they were already yeah, tilted. They were already I, was tilted. Say, I remember that's that count. Rogue Warriors. Yeah, yeah. That's not the I one I was referencing. I eventually blocked it out. So I was so sad that they lost to RNG again. You know who was also sad? Rookie was real sad. Yeah, that's true. Jet stats are always correct. If you don't count the ones that, that are incorrect, I've decided to admit. Yeah. <laughs> if we just move the goalposts enough. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do quit Twitter real quick before we wrap up. Uh, got a question from Koopy v. Britannia. For the second year in a row, the playing teams from EU, NA, and China all made it out of groups. Is it once again just luck, or does the playing stage have some real advantages over going straight to groups? Uh, for me, there's two parts to this. I think that. The team that wins the gauntlet is very often better than third in their region because that's like recent performance. It's not relying on on spring at all in championship points. It's your current performance going into Worlds. You beat all these other teams. So that generally means maybe you're actually better even than the second seed team. And then I would also say, um, you know, I personally believe playing through playing is an advantage. I think that getting the warm-up games, even if you are a super dominant team, I always felt like in my tournament days, I always prayed for easy games at the start because it built confidence. Even if you had the the ability to win a whole tournament, getting those easy games under your belt makes you feel good, makes you feel comfortable in that environment. So I do think that that helps. And then for the teams that are maybe more unsure, I mean, like Cloud9 got to test out, should we play Blabber or Sven, right? If you play Blabber heavily in groups, maybe he doesn't do well there and you just get knocked out, right? So I think you get uh, to test things out, you get to explore the meta. I think it's an advantage. I think both of those are correct. And there is also a lot of luck in groups, in your yep. group mm. draw. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the way that Worlds is drawn, I mean, even though it's double round robin, best of ones, uh, there definitely is luck that goes into getting out of a harder group or getting out of an easy group. But I don't think that overwrites uh, 
both yeah. the points that Izzel just made. And the risk of being in play-in is real. It's just those three teams haven't been punished by it yet. Cloud9 went to a game five against Gambit. Yeah. If they messed up in that game five, they don't even make it to groups. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the negative part of going to play-in. But yeah, I, I, I really do... I'm going to think a lot about the qualification aspect of it. Like, there are a lot of situations where the team that wins in the regional qualifier is actually, like, the second-best team yep. right now. Uh, so I think you could say that this year, right, for North America at least. I don't know if it's true for Europe. Between G2 and Vitality, both those teams actually played great yeah. uh, in the group stage, but it's definitely interesting to think about. Any final thoughts for next sort of question? Sweet. Please discuss, well, this is from, we got this question a lot, actually. This one is from Victorious VIP. Please discuss the Hunter Thieves AD carry situation. Huge slap in the face for Cody Sun to play all year with the team, only to get benched at Worlds. That's basically it. They're calling it questionable. I mean, we don't have any further insight than anyone else. We can discuss mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is a huge slap in the face to not get to play yeah. any games at Worlds after... Well, especially... Um, Every other team, after they were eliminated, was putting in their sub. Like, aside from TL, where they brought Viper and no one was expecting them to play, like, almost every other team, once they were eliminated, they were doing a jungle sub or something to give the guy a game on the world stage. I think that's the part that I think feels feels bad. To me, the the one thing I can say, I don't have any internal insight. They haven't really been communicating. My immediate assumption when you are losing super hard in the first round of both those teams. You don't even try Cody Sun. Just says that the inner workings of the team, they're not happy playing with Cody Sun or Cody Sun is not happy playing with them. It's, I think, less about game performance and more about you know the interactions of the players on the team. That, to me, just says it's not working. Cody Sun's not going to be there coming into the next year. And that's probably all we're ever going to know. Yeah, I do want more communication on it. I would understand 100 Thieves. Like, I understand 100 Thieves not wanting to say, we don't like Cody Sun. Like, you don't want to throw a player under the bus if you're not playing yeah. him. And maybe 100 Thieves thought that was the only thing that they would do by communicating. Yeah. But I I feel like if they're creative, there is a way to at least let people know what your intentions are. Yeah. Uh, which I think is what feels the worst, is just the total darkness on the situation. Yeah. It does feel bad. Of course, from their side, they're trying to protect their coaches, their other players, as mm-hmm. well as Cody Sun himself. Um, but... Some sort of yeah, communication is definitely would go a long way. I think. I mean, that's what probably said, right? He had he had the interview mm-hmm. quote. I haven't watched the full interview, but it mm-hmm. basically says there's no advantage to actually discussing it because it you know it just kind of uh, makes so, you pick sides. People do criticize. But I don't. I don't fully agree. PR statements or whatever from mm-hmm. companies and things all the time, but there is a reason that those came to exist. Because um, <laughs> even if you're saying something and everyone knows, oh, it's a PR statement. Um, that's a reason it's called a PR statement. Like it's inoffensive. It is some sort of communication. If there's zero communication, um, you know, people go digging for their own reasons, and this yep. starts. Yep. And then happens. you get a giant disappreciation thread on the front page of Reddit. <laughs> there's been a lot of discussion on this topic, so I don't think we're necessarily adding too much yeah. of it. Uh, I think Travis made a good interview that outlined a lot of the stuff. I, mm-hmm. I think 100 Thieves does need to improve their communication as a team for sure. I just want to like last because I I agree with all of this and I'm not trying to play like 100 Thieves apologist, but I do think that it would be a real shame in the same way that if Cloud9 had lost a Gambit and that best of five and never made groups. Um, that it's a shame that then all of their achievements that they made in their their entire year, like it feels bad that Worlds is like the only thing that people pay attention yeah. to. Like 100 Thieves still made year, a final. Great content It's their series. first year. Their clothing line is pretty sick. Like <laughs> they go to Worlds. That's still a lot of accomplishments. And like 
100%. Clean up your transparency. But ultimately, there are still things to be like, you know, good job. Good first run. Yeah. It almost feels like getting to worlds, like limping into worlds is worse than not going to worlds. Because then for everyone, your brand. Yeah, for your brand. Because mm -hmm. everyone's going to flame you if you're going to do bad at worlds, right? Whereas, you know, a team that maybe finished looking stronger and does not go to worlds you don't have that opportunity for people to flame you. But I do like your point about the things that they did well, right? Yeah. Um, all the things that you mentioned. I think the heist was also uh, one of the more interesting like, documentary things just, they did. I think there are there are pros and cons of each team every single year. And it's just unfortunate that people are like, no, let's look at the only last three weeks and that's it. Uh, all right, final question. Paul, Budgie's Smuggler, if SKT had beaten Genji back in the gauntlet and then made the Miracle Run to Worlds, would they have also been knocked out in the group stage? Or was Genji just mental boom? Wait, what's the question? Basically, replace SKT or put SKT in Genji's spot. <laughs> do they do any better than one in five? Or do you think it was the fact that Genji choked? Like, did Genji choke or are they bad? Okay. That's I put Griffin in their spot. I think they definitely do better. SKT, ah, I'm not sold. Yeah, I'm not sold either. I mean, we talked about this even way back in spring. I just didn't think SKT had a good enough roster to make Worlds, and and they didn't. I feel like they actually, where they ended up is probably pretty fair as far as the team's strength. Like, they're, yeah. Faker is amazing, but they're, they didn't really have a top lane, uh, you know, this year. I, I think there was a lot of problems with SKT. I, I'm kind of more on board with the Griffin hype train because it felt like, to me, that was nerves them losing where they did more mm -hmm. than, you know, actual skill, but who knows? Yeah, if we talk about teams not being happy about the three teams that NA sent to Worlds, I don't think the LCK is happy about the three teams the LCK sent to Worlds. Yeah. I'm not happy about the three teams the LPL sent to Worlds. <laughs> did you want uh, JDG? Yes! Yeah, so did I. Oh. Uh, they as, were really excited. Don't get me wrong, like, Edward Gaming, they deserve to be here. They pulled it out in the clutch when it counts, which is more than I can say for Invictus Gaming at this point. Um, but, like, JDG are so exciting to watch. Like, that is the next... That is the griffin, if you will, of the LPL. So it's just like there's so much hype. There, People wanted to just see them kind of get that chance to cut their teeth. Whereas it feels like a lot of the LPL fans are just so almost done with Edward Gaming. They're like, oh, no, it's it's EDG again, which is unfair because it is a brand new Edward Gaming roster. And at the end of the day, the teams that made it to Worlds are the teams that deserve to go to Worlds, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. People 100%. talking about uh, Griffin, well, they lost. People talking about you know JDG, well, they lost. Well, people talking about TSM now in the 100 Thieves situation. Hundred Thieves beat them, yep. right? Like there, you know, there's there's teams that you you have more points for a reason. You went for a reason. You won your games, and uh, you know they wouldn't be here if they don't deserve to be. You know what I just realized? Paul made that tweet. Yeah, he <laughs> the made writer the, the script. Made that tweet and put it in. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that in the future, Paul. I Everyone think you are allowed to do that. Go claim Budgie Smuggler on Twitter. If he has good enough of a question. That you're like, then oh, yeah, that's a good question. Then just put it in the show. Don't put, like, put it in the rundown. Just have access why, into your script. To we, all, your own we also pick our own tweets. You don't yeah. have to use his. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, Frost Gurren, well? thank you for joining us. Any final thoughts? Oh, damn it. I knew I wanted to say something here, and now I've completely forgotten. No, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, if you think about it, you can always send a tweet out. I'm sure you would have had something really cool to say, but that was pretty generic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Dive. Thanks again for us, Curran. Uh, quarterfinals, here are the times. They start this weekend. we got KT Rolster versus Invictus Gaming and RNG versus G2 Esports. The games start at 9 p.m. Pacific time. World's Countdown will be 30 minutes before that at 8.30. And then the next day at the same times is Cloud9 and Fnatic. They're going to be playing Fnatic versus CDG and Cloud9 versus Freak Freak. So tune in. It is going to be hype, and I hope for the results that I want. 
<laughs> That's good. 